Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiasha Zaitz. In the next two episodes, we'll dive into healthcare development and digitalization in the Middle East. You're going to hear from two speakers based in Dubai. The speaker of today's episode is Ziad Tabet, Chief Customer Officer at Alliance Care Technologies. Ziad is a healthcare veteran with three decades of experience in the healthcare space. He has extensive experience in operations and financial management of hospital systems, healthcare startups, sales and business development, account management, creating and bringing infrastructure and teams from idea to reality. He's been living in the UAE for over 10 years, first in Abu Dhabi, now in Dubai. In this discussion, he shared his experience with the region, commented on opportunities and mindset around healthcare digitalization. Enjoy the show and do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet to be notified about new episodes automatically. In the next one, you'll hear from another expat living in the region for a decade. But now, let's dive into today's discussion. Ziad, Arab Health, the largest healthcare event for Middle East with over 5,000 exhibitors, just took place in Dubai. What are your impressions about it? What would you say is the current state of health tech in the Middle East? You're right about Arab Health. It's the, the, the largest of its kind, I think, out, outside of the U.S. or very close to it. It's an important event here as well. That it took place during Omicron spike shows you just how important the event is to the healthcare community across the region and the world for that matter. I presented with the state of Maryland and there are pavilions from around the globe. There, there's a very large U.S. contingency, the same with the U.K., from the Far East, Korea, Japan, China, many countries, most, many from Europe as well, around the world. It has, it, it, it's not been stopped as a result of the pandemic. It has simply adapted. And I think that's one of the things I would characterize as the current state of health tech in, in, in the Middle East as well. It's in flux and in an ever-evolving state, I would say, certainly not stagnant. And what's interesting is COVID has had a great deal with advancing it as well. I think it's shaped 10 years off the arrival time of many advancements So. The fact that we're very comfortable holding this session remotely is testament to just how quickly things have changed. And that's probably the nature of, of advancements. Uh, and I'm not necessarily a fan of the way the word disruption is overused, but this certainly has been disruptive and it has brought forward badly needed changes very quickly. And so the nature of disruption in this sense tends to come from external factors. Healthcare is no different, probably the same as many other industries where changes have come from outside. The participants in, in particular industries tend to use innovation that is somehow morphed from other industries and brought into play. And then, in, in fact, one of the seminal books on value-based care was written in 2006 by a gentleman named Porter. And he used analytical tactics from other industries outside of the healthcare superimpose them. And this is in, in part how he's arrived at his definition in, in, in that treatise of value-based care. 
I think also with health tech, there's a healthy dose of competition, just as much as there is uh, cooperation, collegiality, and, and mutual interest across the region. I think everybody's driving toward very similar goals. And uh, there are differences as well. The state of health tech, I, I would say, is not so easily defined by one or trajectory or appearance really any more than the region is defined by a name. It's sometimes called the Middle East, sometimes called EMEA. They drop the E and it's MIA or MENA or AMISA and so on. So it's not one that immediately lends itself to a, a, a singular monofaceted description. It is, the, the state of things is certainly moving more quickly uh, than I think other parts of the world and, and certainly more quickly than before, not just COVID. Before COVID came along, I'll give you one example. The United States took something like 20 years to move from fee-based inpatient care to inpatient uh, prospective payment systems in the, in, in the form of DRGs. That happened in, in less than a decade here, yeah, like five, six years, something like that, from the time that it was started. And Dubai even more quickly. Dubai had begun the transition to DRG sometime in 2016 with per perhaps some preparatory work in advance ahead of that. And in 2019, they moved to Phantom. In 2020, they've been live. So it's moving quickly. Mm -hmm. Is that also visible at affairs such as the Arab Health? So when somebody goes to Arab Health, people from all, all across the world go there to exhibit their solutions to try to either enter the market. What's the balance or the ratio between the, the regional providers of technology and medtech uh, towards the global scape? Is it visible? What kind of innovation is happening? regionally? I think a commendable amount and the quality as well. Okadoc is, I, I don't want to single out any individual provider. Okadoc has done something absolutely remarkable as, as have some others. There are some fantastic innovations coming out of here as well. And I, I once had a college professor that said, whatever it is that you think you've invented, it's been done before. And that's not to discount the value of, of innovation, but the fact is innovation comes from a thousand failed experiments before you hit that one. So I don't know what everybody is doing. I don't know what everything about what everybody is doing. It, it would be just guesswork to say what the ratio is. But there's a fair amount of innovation coming out of the region, as well as adoption and, I think, enhancement and improvement of what's brought in. We're going to talk a lot about this a little bit uh, down the road of this conversation. But I do want to go to your uh, personal story for just one question and ask you what actually brought you to the region in the first place, because uh, you've uh, moved here roughly 10 years ago, right? That's right, from New York. Yeah, Th that's simple. Yeah, so I, the, the opportunity to bring decades of experience and, and know-how and actually to be able to make a difference. I have been thinking about working internationally, but didn't, didn't realize just how portable the skills would be. One of my customers back then had come from a three-year stint in Colombia. And after speaking with him, it was interesting to me that because an American-based healthcare mo market is uh, is not one that's altogether common or replicated around the world, particularly with when it comes to the uh, financial operations of it. I was recruited here by a large healthcare organization for a government project, 
and it's uh, just fallen in love with what it is that I get to do here. I literally can say I will have left it better than I found it. And everything to do with the remarkable people and the governmental leadership that I've had a privilege to work with. I've met with lawmakers, regulators, and, and key decision makers who seek my views and counsel. I've seen that ideas and policies that I've talked about with them have found their way into official promulgation and um, policies. And that level of access or direct contribution simply wasn't uh, available to me or to many people in the U.S. or other parts of the world. You just mentioned how much easier the access to government and private organizations is here. So can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit more? What, it, what exactly did you mean? Did you mean that the access is easier in terms of research or that the legislators and regulators are more connected to, to the industry? All of the above, I think they're attentive. They're desirous of, of hearing from stakeholders. They make decisions informed by all of the stakeholders, payers, providers, manufacturers, suppliers, the, the perspective of the patient and the, the, the clinical communities is in as well. They're also very avidly taking the time to observe and understand how healthcare is uh, is funded and delivered around the world in every aspect. And as I mentioned, they're eclectic. Something that works, they will not necessarily deconstruct, but they'll endeavor to understand what are the drivers that makes a particular model work. And then they'll seek to implement just the beneficial aspects of this uh, of that without without necessarily adopting it and, and mimic mimicking it um on mass and and I think that's a form of innovation as well and I see that being done by governments across the MENA region the reason that I asked um, earlier about the ratio you know between the innovation happening in the region uh, compared to the exhibitors at Arab health from other countries uh, uh, in the world is that in some regions, just the culture would be so specific that some solutions are uh, designed on a local level. So usually if you enter a new market from another market, you would try to find a local partner to implement your solution and just localize it. But sometimes there's actually already local solutions because the language itself is uh, so important and the understanding of the market that the solutions that are developed um, from the scratch on the ground are those that basically work best. From that perspective, I'm wondering, how do you perceive the culture in the Middle East? In the last 10 years, you've probably learned a lot about that as well. Interestingly, I think from my perspective, I think culture is an element, but it's not a determining element. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Language generally tends not to be uh, a bear because the capacity of buyers and sellers to, to translate their products and solutions into the local language is no longer, it's just not an obstacle at all. I think it's not even necessarily an afterthought because it's just so easy and, and, and prevalent. I think that there's a degree of regionalization and localization that has to happen when someone brings a capability and that capability could be a service, it could be a device, 
a, a software solution, some other type of technology or what have you. And what is what makes healthcare so portable, and I think this has helped accelerate the pace of the digitization and adoption, is the fact that you're talking about the human body, which you know, we're all the same everywhere around the world. Cardiac event here is generally treated the same way as a cardiac cardiac event is is treated anywhere else. A an elbow fracture generally treated the same way as it is anywhere else. So it's the things around that that have to be made to accommodate what might, rather than just culture, what might be the the, the nuances of how things happen here. And that's pretty easy to do. Given that you worked um, across the region, I was also wondering how would you observe the factors that impact the state of healthcare digitalization in different countries? Because, for example, um, going from what you just said, that localizations are possible, and clearly there's uh, uh, world leaders that deployed their, their solutions here. The data that I found was that Qatar, for example, is dominated by Cerner and actually 80% of EHRs in Qatar are uh, Cerner's. Uh, Epic is also quite prevalent here. Kuwait seems to be in more early stages of healthcare digitalization. Then Saudi Arabia has this vision for the e, basically for e-health development till 2030. How do you observe the development uh, since you've been here? I would answer that question this way. The factors impacting the state and pace of healthcare digitalization across the countries are, are somewhat common to all of them. Factors such as budget constraints, budget limitations, budget availability, the speed and pace of in installations. Some go in one fell swoop. Others have multiple iterations of how they approach a particular initiative. Fit and suitability are other factors. An, an example of that is some locales, are their immediate needs are basic human needs, hygiene, clean water, things like that. So nobody in that region is looking for a sermon because it simply doesn't resonate. And then you have locales where the fundamental need is primary care and, and other more urban areas where tertiary care teaching hospital ha has a place and has been in place and is recognized worldwide for quality and pedigree of its care. I think some other factors are, um, they're, they're, they're more human and emotional type factors, such as the, the desire for recognition and achievement to be acknowledged as a member of tier one world-class healthcare, adopting internationally accepted clinical standards and other types of operational standards. The populations that are served is another aspect of the fit and suitability that I had talked about, and that spans across urban and rural as well. As to the tools around that, such as electronic medical records, that is that is changing, and I think it, it's changing for the better. There is there's an expansion of availability, and like most markets, when you have competition, that generally drives for a better result. And this is also an area where regionalization and localization uh, is simply vital. It's mission critical. Purveyors of different solutions have to make their system adaptable and relevant to the specific area of, if say you mentioned Cerner and Epic, they're designed to work with the U.S. healthcare standards of the HIPAA, and that include the HIPAA standard codes. And 837 is a, an out, 
outbound claim, an 837I is an outbound claim for a hospital bill, an 837P is an outbound claim for professional services for a medical doctor, for a physician. Those, it doesn't compute. Though they don't translate here, there is no separate bill <clears throat> for a hospital or a physician. So those systems must adapt. Otherwise, they don't work. And the way that they adapt and the speed and the cost of way that, that what they adapt have to make sense financially and functionally. And I think the, I think this, this, the spread of availability is helping drive that. What would you say is uh, the most kind of difficult thing for digitalization? here uh, in the Middle East, the, the barrier to success in healthcare digitalization. I think budgetary constraints is one. There's, so when you talk about digitization, digitalization, there are multiple layers of that, right? So what's the point of digitalization? It can't be an end unto itself. There's got to be a purpose for it. And if the purpose is anything other than creating healthy communities, then it's probably a misplaced objective. So if you work backward, how do you use technology and digital healthcare to drive better outcomes? You need data and the data needs to be in some way, shape or form structured. It doesn't need to be standardized necessarily. You can normalize that data so you can use it and leverage it. But, you know, unstructured data is is difficult to manage and difficult to uh, derive consistent and reliable conclusions, empirical conclusions from it. And so if you think about all of the infrastructure you need under that, an HIE is a prerequisite to being able to perform sound and beneficial population health management. The presence of an HIE means there must be an electronic patient record and, and of some kind in the vast population of provider organizations. And then the training of the clinical providers and all the um, ad administrative and support staff around that, that enable healthcare to be delivered, they have to be trained to be to, to use the system. And so when you, you break it down into the component prerequisites of what is sometimes just thrown around as a single term of digital healthcare, they are substantial obstacles and they cost money. Um, so not that money is the only obstacle, but it's certainly a big part of the equation. It's probably the largest coefficient in whatever equation there would be to arrive at the advanced digital state that everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be at. There's still hospitals here in the UAE that use paper. I was just about to ask if you can attribute any, just the state of digitalization to the size of the country. So if you look at Saudi Arabia is the biggest with 35 million people, then UAE has 10 million people, but it's very uh, advanced, especially with Dubai, which is a hub of expats and basically an innovation uh, space in the region. Then Qatar with 2.8 million people um, and Kuwait with 4.2 million people, different sizes, but I don't know uh, what the impact is. Sometimes if a country is smaller, it makes it much easier to implement some of the national digitalization projects. That's an interesting question. Um, I, I think population size, it generally affects scale. I would venture to say that the population size is not a driver of policies or leadership. And that's what counts. Uh, that's what counts. Le leadership definitely counts. If you don't have good leadership, 
the other stuff are empty. And leadership that cares for its own citizens as well as its its foreign residents is also a a key differentiator. And th- that also makes the the nationalizing some of the available jobs in a country somewhat workable. And so going back to your question of size, I would say it generally leads to scale, but it doesn't it, it doesn't necessarily drive the creation of policies or funding strategies or financing mechanisms or the 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 paneling of insurance carriers or third party administrators. So if infrastructure has to be there, the difference is with, with population size is does the infrastructure have to be really large or does it not have to be really large? So to, to use maybe a quirky example, it's the difference between transporting a backpack on your shoulders while you ride a bicycle versus a big 18-wheel tractor, which has to bring tens of thousands of backpacks. The only difference is the size. It's the scale of the vehicle, but the purpose and the intent and the nature and the need aren't any different just because they're smaller or larger. In the uh, 10 years that you've been living here, did you have any experiences uh, with healthcare in different countries in the region? What were they like? I have. It uh, it, it, it varies from, from country to country. I think some of the, co- I haven't had a bad experience, if I can put it that way. And I think it, it, it Receiving care is something we talk about as a general concept, but it's a very personal thing when you talk to a particular individual. My my personal views are are my views alone. And if I were to take across the across the different countries that I've been in, and not just in the Middle East, I I generally think people who enter healthcare really want to deliver. They really want to deliver good care. They want the patient in front of them or the people around them that they work with to provide care. I I think it, it's a mindset that drives them to be part of a good care. It, it's we've all had that experience of perhaps a a cashier at some department store who's been having a rough day, they don't make eye contact and they seem unpleasant and unhappy. You don't necessarily find a lot of that when you're talking about clinicians who are there in the contact trying to make a person with a disease or an illness better. There's an array of financial incentives. And sometimes one of the, one of the things I found here is the motivation to overuse and generate revenue. <clears throat> sometimes surpasses what would be medically necessary. But that's probably a human problem. That's not just a healthcare problem. We've all been ripped off before in different transactions we've had throughout our life. That's a human thing. I don't think that's a healthcare thing. Absolutely. Are there any digital health-related, uh, infrastructure-related uh, projects that you are you know, observing currently as the most intriguing for you, if you would have to describe the interesting things that, that are happening, what would you pick? You know, three immediately come to mind, the UAE, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. I'd, I would be remiss not to mention Egypt and Oman. And I say that's at, at the risk of failing to mention some of the other advancements that are taking place, particularly in Jordan. So let's take Saudi first. They're embarking on what I would say is probably one of the most ambitious and largest projects of its kind. And once they're set up where they get to the future state there, there'll be nothing like that anywhere else. And that's the Nafis project, of course. And the fact, and it's not just the Nafis project, it's the organization of the country into 22 clusters, which will then need to be self-sufficient and go beyond just operating as an accountable care organization. They're going to be 
multiple components of that, integrated care delivery, population health. So it is a very ambitious program, and I'm thrilled to be a, a, a part of it in, in the small way that I can be. The UAE is now has HIEs in the in, in three separate regions. The Malafi project is seeing increasing adoption with, I think, what is 100% connectivity. Nabit and Rayati and the, and the other two areas, I, I think, will surpass everybody's expectations in terms of what they're able to achieve. Qatar also with the moniker that's been placed on that is Q, which is the equivalent also of a national uh, platform, both for clinical and financial transactions. And these, these platforms, the digital healthcare engines, are not there only as, as an end to themselves. Um, I think the next step is to move to value-based care and, and actually use these systems to drive better patient outcomes, to create healthier communities. And I, I could go on with some of the other countries, but those are the first. For companies that look at the region and think that it would be interesting for them to be here, present here, uh, is there any advice that you would give to the innovators that are trying to enter the region? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at that. I would keep it simple and say we are born with two ears and one mouth. So behave accordingly. Come with a heart to learn and improve. And I think the someone who comes with that perspective will achieve everything they want out of this region and then some. And, and I think the other thing as well is come with a healthy amount of respect and recognition for what's been achieved in a very short period of time. I, I don't think we need to go back much more than a decade, certainly not a decade and a half. And the things that are normal here simply didn't exist. And so when you talk about achieving that level of progress in such a short period of time, at such a high degree of quality and reliability, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. I think they deserve some applaud and some good respect for what they've been able to put together. I'm a foreigner here, but I've never felt unwelcome. And I know thousands of other people that feel the same way. I think that's an important piece of coming here. Don't just come here to make money or transact business. Come here to leave the place better than you found it. And you'll be rewarded more than you could imagine. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. Faces of Digital Health is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. So if you're interested in exploring other podcasts in the healthcare space, go to healthpodcastnetwork.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.